Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Ghibliotech, the podcast that visits parks related to the films of the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader. I'm Steph Watts. And I'm Jake Cunningham. And we're at the front of the queue. So join us in our quest into the glorious world of the Ghibli Park. Jake, Steph... This podcast has been a long time coming. I remember however many years ago we heard about the Ghibli Park opening and we sort of had the our Wayne's World moment of <laughs> one day, <laughs> yes, it will be ours. And we we went there. Mm. Yeah, well, it was, was it announced 2017. Gosh. We knew, knew this was going to be happening um, at this point the the podcast was just a glimmer in your eye <laughs> and um i think when we came to japan before and we went to the ghibli museum it kind of felt like that was that was the grand finale of mm-hmm. the project in a way and the experiences that we could have and in the last two weeks we've watched a new Hayao Miyazaki film yes. and then come back to Japan and gone to the Ghibli Park. Yeah, like what an amazing time for us and this show and and to be a Ghibli fan, I guess. Absolutely. There were two things, both the new Miyazaki film and the Ghibli Park that felt so distant. Maybe one day we'll be able to do these things and we've done them. <laughs> but yeah, what we need to say where we are. We're in to- we're in Tokyo now. This has been quite a whirlwind trip around Japan. But we were in Nagoya to go to the Ghibli Park, which is where the Ghibli Park is. And we were staying at a hotel there, the Marriott Associa Hotel, which is right on top of Nagoya Station and probably the tallest hotel I've ever stayed in. What floor were we on, Steph? We were on floor 28 oh, is out of 52. So we could have gone higher, but... That I was high enough was for high me. Enough. Yeah. Um, and then went to Tokyo, we're currently recording in Tokyo at the Shiba Park Hotel, a library-themed hotel, which is quite suitable, suited for our podcast. Um, books everywhere when you're walking between the rooms. But let's go back into our frame of mind as we record. This is yesterday morning. We've already done quite a lot on our trip, but this was the big day, Steph, wasn't it? It was the big day. How do we start the big day? Do we have we had a big big breakfast? We had a big breakfast. Yeah. We had a, a morning service breakfast mm. in Nagoya, which is where if you buy a cup of tea or coffee, you basically get the rest of the breakfast included in the price. So we got some enormous slabs of toast, <laughs> some sausages. You guys had a nice ham sandwich. We did have a ham sandwich, didn't we? So that set us up really well for the yeah. day. So then ship on out i remember saying quite foolishly we've arrived in nagoya there's no signage you'd expect there to be some posters or something and then we got the train out to the actual area to out of the city where the park is and then suddenly there's a massive wall-sized map (laughs) that i took a picture of you two of like you're marching like you're may in totoro and then we just followed the signs and we got there. And so we, we should explain that even though Ghibli Park, sometimes we call it a theme park, sometimes we call it a park, it is a a bunch of themed areas and one central grand warehouse that's in within a larger park that's the Aichi 2005 Commemorative Park, which 
I've 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 compared to Crystal Palace, if it, the, the the South London Park, which is you know a, a very much a sort of curated space with sports stadiums and various other areas. Um, but this, when we got there, this was a, a whole other level, really. Well, we should say it's a public park. Yeah. So you would get off the train station, you'd descend into the grounds of the commemorative park, and you will cross under a, a sign that says Ghibli Park, mm-hmm. um, and you will no doubt get a photograph there, and you will go down this great lift that's a uh, part clock tower, part kind of raw titan mm-hmm. <laughs> sculpture, um, and that will take you down to, I suppose, the ground level of the park. And there's, there's, no, there's no barriers, there's no tickets for this space. Very much the opposite of our experience of <laughs> Universal Studios, uh, if you listen to that episode. And so whilst that was <laughs> like people like banging on the gates of hell <laughs> to get in at 7 a.m. Um, this was extremely relaxed and you just kind of stroll on down mm. and the capacity, if we think um, Universal Studios, a, a huge capacity day for them would be 50,000. Mm-hmm. The capacity for Ghibli Park is 5,000. Yeah. But the actual size of the park that you're in is significantly bigger than yeah. Universal Studios as well. Every, it's so spacious, you don't really feel like you are in a ticketed or a, a themed space at all. Mm-hmm. So what we did, the park opens at, or the Ghibli elements of this park open at 10, and our entry for the Grand Warehouse was at 12. Mm-hmm. So we got there for 10, which gave us a couple of hours to explore the wider grounds. Mm-hmm. And... That's where we start to uncover the different elements of the park, not all of which are open at the moment, but also a few of the Easter eggs as well. Absolutely. So we sort of just did what we would normally do when we have a, we have time in a space. We just find a point on the map and say, let's go there and saunter around on our way. So A very Ghibli way of doing it as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Let's get lost together. And so we knew that when we booked our tickets even though I was poised on the day they go on sale. It's similar to the Ghibli Museum. There's a point every month that the, f- the, s- the, f- you know, the following months go on sale. And I think we were just unlucky with how it landed. We got a ticket for the Grand Warehouse, which is a big indoor area, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the other two open areas, the Hill of Youth and the Dondoko Forest, one is, you know, the first one's Whisper of the Heart, the second one's more Totoro-themed. They, they were sold out. But... We didn't really need tickets for those, as we found out, because once you explore the whole space, if you want to just sort of see rising out of the landscape the house from Whisper of the Heart or turn a corner and there's the family house from Totoro that's sat, sat very beautifully on a lake, you can just enjoy those as features on the landscape. It's whether you want to go inside, that's the ticketed activity. But it was really wonderful to walk around because it's a park with gardens and lakes and an observation deck to to look at the house on the lake, the Totoro house, um, hills and a big bell that we found that we were able to yeah. ring. I think it, it wouldn't be a, a particularly hard challenge to go to that park without a ticket for the warehouse and still have a great day. A Ferris wheel that we didn't get as far as, baseball yeah. diamond, it's a huge place. Um, and flower gardens that were very beautiful in, in the morning light as we were walking across. Um, and yeah, you mentioned Easter eggs, but there's one thing that is still stuck in my head to a <laughs> certain degree. And Steph, this was something that was bugging you and <laughs> at the time the bus that's going around is so <laughs> big that it has its own bus that gives you a lift and there's a, it has its own jingle. And I suppose the buses are always playing the jingle so you know how far away they are because they're not <laughs> on a timetable, they're on a rotation. Um, so even in this beautiful natural setting, there's a, um, I guess that it's melodic, but it's quite a harsh jingle <laughs> scratching at your ears. But Easter eggs, you mm. mentioned Easter eggs. This is something that I hadn't read about, you'd seen in um, murmurings about, which is 
at various points around the park. Do you say there's a baker's dozen? 13? I think it's 15. 15. And so we really only scratched the surface of this. So uh, thinking of the park in a uh, clockwise fashion, so once you descend the, the elevator and you would turn left, you would see from the ground level, you'd look up at the Whisper of the Heart house. And from there, there's a kind of a big oval shape, almost track around a central grassy area. And there were a few benches dotted along there and spotted on those benches were these brass bronzy sculptures that have been placed on the benches and so along this first stretch what were the ones that we saw along there we saw the was the hat and the book from whisper of the heart mm-hmm. that would have been the satchel and the hats from poppy hill as well that was there were a couple of that we couldn't a big bag of cash yeah <laughs> we couldn't quite place a big bag of cash we were wondering whether that's castle and the sky um, or, but also, what we, there were some that we found that might not have had any any relation with Ghibli. So maybe some of them are and some of them aren't. Because there's one we found later on uh, uh, sitting at the edge of a lake. It seemed to be a figure of a person or an anthropomorphic animal sort of lying on its side on the bench. Like it was sort of drifting off to sleep in front of this lake. But in terms of definite Ghibli ones, we also found the cat from Whisper of the Heart sat there like it's on the commuter train in in that scene. We also saw then probably the highlights. Once you're getting towards Dondoko Forest, you find May's hat and the corn with for mum etched into it, sat there on a bench. And that's fun things to see just appear. Well, we didn't expect po- that at all. Well, there's Ponyo, Ponyo, Ponyo's boat and bucket. Oh, yeah. And well, initially we thought, we were confused as to how related these are because there was a bamboo shoot, mm-hmm. which initially we thought was just a bamboo shoot, but we now think is a kind of very vague allusion to Princess Kaguya, maybe. Mm-hmm. But uh, but we found what six, seven, yeah. And so and we were out in the park for two hours, so I'm sure there's a lot more out there that we haven't seen. We yet. did say at one point this is this is how to spend an entire day and get fully sunburned <laughs> walking around a walking around a park but that was the outside area of the park and you mentioned that big green expanse um when we got there quite early in the morning that was empty but then later in the morning towards lunchtime you see what that the point of that place is because lots of huge groups of school kids were there on their school trips and that's where they were all sitting having their picnics and it's there's a ring around that of yellow cosmos flowers and then there's a pink flowers as well around one side it looked really beautiful there's a huge kids playground as well it looked really fun it was called like the cat kingdom i think it was the cat castle wasn't yeah. it and it was shaped like a cat yeah there's a map next to it to yeah down from above <laughs> and that was really fun although that little that moment was tinged with a little bit of envy for us because right next to the cat castle is the mononoke forest which opens um, from the day we record in three days time four days time mm-hmm. and of course that's not on sale and they're not doing press trips as much as we try to wangle our way in so we'd made peace with that beforehand but as we were walking to the cat castle to try and get a glimpse of Mononoke and stuff in the distance there were people mm-hmm. flowing in the opposite direction with Ghibli bags looking very happy and we found out that there was an internal staff access day or visit going on and, you know, oh, so we were jealous so close, at that point. So, so close, yet so far. Just looking in from behind well, a barrier. We saw a roof. <laughs> and that's, what else do you need? You think Mononoke, you think roof. Exactly. Like we got the full experience, I think. And there's also Kiki's area, which doesn't open till spring next year, mm. that did look like it was still under construction. But then we, we wild away our morning quite nicely. And then 12 o'clock beckoned to go and join the queue for the Grand Warehouse. And and we went inside. And it, this is quite an overwhelming interior space, quite different from the Ghibli Museum. Would you say, Steph, from what, with, like the way you approach it? Um, I think similar in some ways, just in that you're kind of funneled into a nice foyer. You're given your ticket for the the Ghibli short, which is oh also yes. playing. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of descend the stairs and 
you can you know have a small moment at the information desk if you need to mm-hmm. before you're kind of dropped in it dropped into this <laughs> enormous space yeah so, i mean it's much much bigger than the the museum anyway mm-hmm. um, there's one key difference and my hard drive wants to remind me of it which is you can take pictures yes. <laughs> inside this place <laughs> the museum of course no pictures once you put all your stuff in the lockers when you get in mm. um but the ground warehouse we marched in downstairs out into this open space and i suppose like we have a bit a big list of stuff that is in there i might just rattle off the stuff that's in there and we can go bit by bit there is the central warehouse which has models and dioramas, shops and all sorts that you can interact with. There's a cat bus room, children's town. There's an area that is the house underneath the house, the borrower's area and Arietti's garden. Then there are like exhibition spaces. There's one called Open Warehouse, which is a behind the scenes look at material, archive material from other exhibitions. There's the special exhibitions, which, well, when we were there, there were three. One's called Becoming Characters in Memorable Ghibli Scenes. One is called Delicious, Animating Memorable Meals. And then there's one called Everything Ghibli! Exclamation mark. Then there's the Orion Cinema, which is a cousin of the cinema of the Ghibli Museum, and that was showing Mr. Joe and the Egg Princess. And then, of course, there's shops and there's food. So let's go through how our day went. What was the first thing we did when we got there? Because we meandered a bit. First thing we did, I think we headed straight for the the kids' area. <laughs> I can't really remember <laughs> why. <laughs> Maybe without the intention that it might I be suggested. I think we just saw, went up some stairs, saw a cat bus sign. Yeah. And we're like, let's go in there. Was a, though, even though, Jake, you said it was a, unlike Universal Studios, there was still a big queue. The first thing we saw was a really big mm. queue. So we thought, let's not go in whatever that room is. Let's go far from it. And as you, it's, there's this really nice central staircase going up, which is done in that. Um, how would you describe that style? It's good. like mosaics. Mm-hmm. If you've been to Parkwell in Barcelona, it's yeah. very similar. Style. And above it is a massive airship that's got all of its propellers going, and it's like rising up and down uh, in motion. So yeah, we went into the cat bus room, which is one of the areas you're not allowed photography, and I suppose mm-hmm. that's because of safeguarding and children because that's the children's area but we still crouch down to go inside a little totoro house yeah we uh, crawled through a tunnel i didn't <laughs> you did me and you're, jake crawled through a tunnel you're a bit more sprightly on your feet than i am we went inside a tiny version of the house from my little totoro yeah and there was a shrine in the corner that was a pompoko shrine mm-hmm. and there was an area you're not allowed to go in unless you are a kid or you're with a small kid which mm-hmm. is called children's town which is all original artwork creating a a bustling metropolis with um, anthropomorphic Ghibli type mm-hmm. Miyazaki style characters, um, like a little cinema, a post office. What else was there in that little area? Well, I think going here first, what it signaled to us is how inclusive all of the works mm-hmm. the park is especially like even to young audiences who really will have no frame of reference who definitely haven't seen a lot of these things like there's amazing wallpaper all around this place Mm -hmm. uh which is like a scratchier more cartoonish version of the backgrounds in ponyo Mm -hmm. that kind of pencil sketch style and the this mural goes along like meters and meters around this area and you've got just little nods to Things like, well, like you mentioned, like Pompoko or mm. Princess Mononoke. But then later we have references to Pompoko or Ghibli's 2, mm-hmm. the second episode yeah. <laughs> of the, the alt world in, in office Ghibli sitcom. Yeah. Um, and this mural, we theorized that it was the journey from out of Tokyo around Japan in this amazing sketch style. And so even for just this kind of what could be seen as a throwaway kids section where you lump the kids in there to waste some time whilst you go and look at the real stuff. This is as much the real stuff as everything else. Oh yeah, the amount of thought and effort and design that's gone into it. So we were there sort of craning around the the doorway just trying to see what the drawings were and what was in there because so many 
details and so many design ideas are throughout the whole park but this in you know in miniature in microcosm was uh, is, was really impressive and i suppose from there where do we go on from there we went from well because at, at multiple points throughout the day we um, initially before going in the warehouse it mm-hmm. was so we got there for 12 and we thought well it closes at five so pr- uh, probably after this we'll yeah. end up in tokyo earlier than we thought because you know it's a warehouse how, how long can we really be? be here um and so after the kids area we checked the queue for whatever the big queue was and it had only gotten bigger but we did see a totally empty room next to the big queue that said entrance yes. so we thought oh we'll try that instead whatever is in there and that was the archive exhibition that was this um open warehouse it's called most of the signage is in japanese but there isn't a great deal of signage anyway so you can in that spirit of let's get lost together which is the tagline for the museum it's very much that you just end up wandering into something and discovering something completely crazy which is for me this is if you are both a Ghibli fan and an Indiana Jones fan mm-hmm. and you've imagined mm-hmm. what would it be like to walk through the warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark except everything in the warehouse is Absolutely. a giant model from a Ghibli film yeah, well, that's it's, exactly what it is because I suppose they're, they're giant models they're from exhibitions they have for all the films um, and, and also special exhibitions in the Ghibli Museum maybe from other events and attractions they've done throughout the years the first thing you see is a humongous Totoro as you walk in but then you very quickly see deeper cuts and strange things. Oh, really strange things like different parts of different cat bosses. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of uncanny to see three mounted cat bus heads all in yes. the same space <laughs> and, and at different areas. They're piled on top of still sealed crates. So it's this wonderful curated sense of bustled you know disorder yeah it feels like you shouldn't be there yeah like they've done it really well it's all in half light as well it's all shadowy yeah. and dark um th- I, i'm just looking through our pictures here the, the, the you see as you walk in as well kids rides like almost like those cone operated rides mm. you see in shopping centers of the cat bus um a tanuki from pompoco and porco rosso's plane but then it gets really confusing when you see like a huge diorama from an exhibition they did on the Nutcracker one year where it's the big climactic battle uh, between the toys and the rats at the end of the Nutcracker but sort of composed in this really you know, vivid style. Um, and that's just there next to, um, I think there were almost life-size characters from Tales from Earthsea was there. Well, you had the, the mid-form ponyos as well yeah. when she's part chicken <laughs> and, the, and her face is kind of gawpy and wide wide-eyed and but like rendered as a full-size statue it's the biggest ponyo you'll ever see um it was a really strange space um because it was i i absolutely adored the layout here but where you thought maybe oh if i if i turn this corner and i'll round that corner i'll get a good view of that thing but it's been purposely mm-hmm. uh, made to be more elusive. And so there is a spotlight on the shrine from the opening of Spirited Away, a statue of it. But when you actually get to be what should in theory be in front of it, there's a column right <laughs> in front of you. But if you glance it from further back from an angle, then you can see it. And so I suppose it's recreating what it would be like if you were an employee of mm. the archive or of the museum thing and you would, were just walking through, it's like, oh, yeah, that's just kind of tucked back there and that's tucked back there and, oh, ignore that thing. Oh, God, do you remember when we had to do that? Yeah. <laughs> and all of the random bits and bobs that you collect it, when you work for this company doing these exhibitions for 20-plus years. And it felt quite spooky and eerie as well um, because they had huge huge characters from an exhibition they did on Goldilocks and the Three Bears just looming out with their <laughs> terrifying lifelike faces and their their eye, their beady eyes just shining in the darkness and there's one guy I didn't actually I couldn't actually place there's a sort of withered old tree in a corner and at the bottom of the tree there's just a skeleton <laughs> I had no idea what that is I'm going to have to 
do a bit more uh, research into that. It was such a such a cool space though, and yeah, it really made made it feel like it is a house of imagination with a great legacy and backlog of of mm-hmm. stuff and you've just yeah warehouse is the word for it isn't it but then after that we got small <laughs> we got small with Arietti and the borrowers which um was that was that an area you liked Steph? i loved this area so much i'm not even much of a huge fan of the film but when we saw from above on the walkway a tiny flower pot <laughs> and a tiny jam jar that you could get inside it was instantly ready. Is that one of, your, actual, one of your great dreams in life? Yes, to be small, <laughs> to be st- palm-sized. Um, no, this, yeah, seeing the, seeing that area from, from kind of above, from outside, I think we'll probably keep reiterating, but the park is so full of little surprises and mm-hmm. it goes further than you think it does. Mm-hmm. Probably why we spent five hours there. Um so yeah, you kind of go down into the Arietti world with all these huge eight foot tall flowers um, and then inside a door. Yeah, the, you, go, you go into their house and you see Arietti's bedroom. Yes, you um, see her bathroom. Yeah, and it's all, the, the detail is astonishing. Mm. I mean, we mentioned this on our episode about Universal Studios as well, but I think the detailing here is just off the charts. We were walking around with friend of the show greg kithriotis who happened to be in town at the same time as us and he was saying how it's designed like a video game or at least it's sort of using Mm -hmm. the same um same principles as that and putting in detail where you could easily cut corners but no looking at these these spaces from every angle there's something to to be found because i really loved walking around and finding um the dad's workshop um, in general, the place is full of the oversized bit, mm. bits and bobs. Because Arietti, one thing I do love about Arietti is they really do take seriously the small world of these little people mm. and how they've got to use everyday objects from our human-sized world to create their own. So you see a um, a little soy sauce fish container hanging off a peg, which a peg is a nail uh, nailed into the wall. Mm-hmm. But then um, they're using stamps as posters mm-hmm. throughout. And I think it's... Like uh, staples as ladder rungs yeah. to get up and down. And, and then you go into the workshop and the workshop has all of his little creations and tools and uh, receipts, receipt rolls being used as his um, paper to draw out schematics and rolls of thread. Oh, that's just really amazing. And you again, you went in an area I couldn't get into because you crawled into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, yeah, you go kind of between the walls. Yeah. uh, And there's a little cotton spool in there. And yeah, you feel like you're in the film when they're kind of and this this is a lot like the museum. The museum had that area where it's like you've walked into an animator's Mm. workshop or study and they've they've literally just walked out for a cigarette. Um, It's got that detail to it. I think more so than the study is that here and throughout the exhibition particularly when it's dealing with the recreations of the films there is a real effort to try and include a sense of movement or momentum in them and so in the Arietti world you had the like large drops of water Mm -hmm. on the edge of a leaf that were just on the cusp of falling off and you could feel the weight of the leaf being dragged down or you had dandelion spores floating above you that Mm -hmm. were kind of just about kind of wafting in the air conditioning wind so it was like tiny details like that that didn't feel like this is a static space Mm -hmm. like we are we are all here as part of this moving tiny world it was um yeah really special and also really interesting that there was that much commitment from a design point of view to Arietti. Mm-hmm. And we'll perhaps we'll talk about this at the end, retrospectively, thinking of like what gets given the spotlight and what doesn't. And maybe from an international crowd where we know Arietti is the highest performing box office out in North America for a Ghibli film. You've got to put the effort in there. But I think for us, it's maybe a surprise that this much time and space has been dedicated to the film. Yeah, it's a whole f- side of the, gr- the ground floor in, in some respects is, is Arietti. But I think for the walkthrough experience, it's that the one makes yeah. the most sense, right? Which I guess, because we didn't 
necessarily know what to expect when we went into the warehouse how much of it would be you experiencing things and walking through and feeling like you're in the film Mm -hmm. or just exhibition yeah so yeah it made sense to do it and Mm. i'm glad they did and the garden was a nice touch uh, having just been in the natural surroundings of Mm. an actual you know living breathing park to go inside and walk about got some good pictures of you steph in your (laughs) dream jam jar and plant pot (laughs) and when you're walking around out in that main area you do also have photo opportunities with a big giant robot from castle in the sky um, in a similar fashion but it's a smaller scale to the one on top of the museum and it's set in a sort of rocky corner with the ruins of a couple of the remains of a couple of other robots next to it you also have i think they call it the director's office which is where yubaba's hanging out and another sort of flowing overflowing with stuff and you can sort of look in you can't take a picture directly with her but you have to be standing outside but that's another thing you can sort of gawp at on the way past um but then we took all those pictures i think we went down the shopping street at that point so you turn a corner and it's designed almost like the markets at the opening of spirited away in the sort of sunset early evening light and there are three stalls three stalls there's kind a of sort three of houses aren't they with yeah. shop fronts um one shop is sweets and pop um which the kids were mobbing at that point so cool seeing kids running around and they had activity sheets that i really wanted to see because i wanted to like how do you do an activity sheet for such an amazing place and then i what I, this is where i was absolutely losing my mind because in a brilliant way but in a way that i'm sure concerned two of you but um so much of what we talk about in the podcast in our books and and uh, during our events as well is how ghibli is a portal into a world and not just a narrative world of characters and branding in the way that disney presents itself as a world of disney but a world of interests and pastimes and passions hobbies that exist outside of the realm of ghibli that aren't trademarked and copyrighted known by ghibli so the second shop front was a model kit store and it was all selling, you know, um, airfix models of planes and tanks, cars, um, and then had a little corner dedicated to Model Graphics magazine, Miyazaki's, you know, the, the magazine that Miyazaki contributes to in his books of his drawings and essays for that magazine. And that just feels so cool. I mean, we joked saying, I wonder who made sure this was here, but mm-hmm. it's it's stocked like the dream I'm sure the dream model kit shop that Miyazaki wished he had um, at various points in his life. And you go around, you can see, you know, Fiat 500s and Citroen 2 CVs and, of course, all of the models of vehicles from Ghibli films. But the fact that you can just go and buy the most nerdy models was amazing. And then next door to that was a bookshop. And we talked about the library and bookshop in the museum when we went there but this was a sort of slightly scaled down a slightly more cramped but had book bookshelves going all the way up to the ceiling and that had all the art books all of the storyboard books all of the other books that from the world of ghibli about the artists you know animators designers toshio suzuki's many memoirs and all that but then I was really excited because they had shelves and shelves and shelves of the books they adapted and books they drew influence from. So if you wanted to go and buy the box set of all of the Tales from Earthsea novels, you could get that. You could go and buy the When Marnie Was There and The Borrowers and all these. And that's the other thing is that the films are a portal into literature if you want to take that route. And they are there in the park where really it should be a consolidation of the brand of Ghibli. What they're doing is saying, go and take this book home with you, go and read about the three bears. We love the three bears. We love Hans Christian Andersen. Go and buy a book of that and go home. So that was, I spent a lot of time in there. I even went back a few hours later. (laughs) But that was me losing my mind there over shops. But we had our photo op with the robot after that. And this is where the photos started going haywire because we had to take photos of Greg. Greg had to take photos of us in various <laughs> configurations. 
Um, you had a lot of direction. You had, you know, now look at the robot, now do a vertical one, now do a horizontal one, but now do a video. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was after that, wasn't it, that we then committed. Oh, no, because there were two exhibitions. We, we then found at the special exhibition space for the food exhibition which again we just wandered around a corner and there was a space that just said exhibition here and we went in and it was the food one first by surprise yeah which we were i think a bit confused about whether it was on or finished Mm -hmm. or coming soon um but as soon as we kind of turned that corner there was this huge poster which i wish they sold in the shop i think we all do of just loads of amazing moments of characters buying into different foods we had a great opening kind of section of recreated foods, the fish pie from Kiki, the egg on toast, the shepherd's pie from Earwig. <laughs> Considering that that's turned into something that, Jake, you, you, you joke about quite a lot, it was very funny seeing how how, how much that was on, on display. <laughs> oh, I mean, the Ghibli Park does not forget Earwig and the Witch as much as <laughs> as much as we might want to. It is very much a um, a big part of the experience. Yeah, um, yeah this uh, I love. We love seeing these recreations of the food, um, and obviously it's quite funny seeing them recreated, a, a, a cartoon food recreated in real life style, but then the real life style has been adapted into the kind of waxy poly style that you would traditionally see in the front window mm-hmm. of a Japanese restaurant which is in itself slightly cartoonish and heightened um, and so it was wonderful to see all of those dishes and then from there once you once you are reminded of what these things look like in their respective films turn a corner and see how they were made and this is the p- perhaps the most traditionally museum like mm-hmm. section of the park and for us and our interests like you, it couldn't have been better really yeah like we're seeing these huge like enormous half wall size layouts that have the frame by frame animation like the sketches the cells of all of these sequences you had the biggest panel dedicated just to see how mr yamada eats his sad banana frame by frame through that animation yeah because it it was great to see this laid out so you'd have these big you know wall displays where it maybe go from the storyboard to the finished cell or the finished piece and it would be focusing on different things so that yamada one would be frame by frame the whole character animation of him sadly Mm -hmm. quietly eating his banana but then what i remember steph what we we were surprised by at one point was how it would be the sketches for the animation of very specific details. So it would be the sizzling grease on the fried breakfast in Halsbury Castle, and it would be it would be a completely blank frame apart from just these little dots of sizzle, um, which was really cool to see that 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 level of detail and then that stuff because we when we see it in the film, it's all being composited together. So seeing how that is separate. Yeah, I think for, you know, moments that are sometimes like one second, like Princess Mononoke, where she kind of rips the chunk of meat, you know, that's such a tiny section, but seeing it frame by frame, how many different frames they have to fully kind of animate, and it's not just the mouth moving, um, was super, super interesting. And I think, yeah, amazing to highlight, because obviously Ghibli food is such a big thing for people who like the films for people who don't even really know the films but maybe see you know ghibli twitter accounts just posting food moments mm-hmm. like it's such a well-known thing to so to see yeah just the level of detail that goes into like sometimes less than a second yeah is it, amazing it's showing this the fact that it really is the cross-section between design animation and then character animation and also very specific object animation breaking those things out and there were these displays that were like some of those twitter accounts or some of those video essays but were really great to see them do it properly with all the material they have where it would be chopsticks in ghibli films or how ghibli characters cut slices of bread 
and it'd be like, oh yeah, you're right. They do that in many well, films. It's <laughs> yeah. It, it goes through the whole journey of the food process, mm-hmm. um, and so you even see things being grown, things being picked, things being chopped, things being cooked, things being served, bi- things being eaten. Uh, luckily, the steps end there. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's it's kind of reassuring and lovely to see like the passion for it as well that like that we like to imagine is there is very much there as well like it's um and it's lovely when you do get to these moments of payoff where there are just a handful of bits where you get the the side by side the one that i'm thinking of is uh chihiro eating her rice ball Mm. like a tiny little bite and then a bigger bite and then a scoffing the lot whilst tears stream down her face and so being able to have this whole wall covered and of all the frames of that, but then having the clip by the side as well is really satisfying. Yeah, and the, but the last word uh, quite peculiarly went to Goro because almost the last one you'd see on the way out of this little section would be the shepherd's pie <laughs> again from Earwig. And you'd see the original colour little sketch for it and you could dream of what could have been yeah. if it was a traditionally animated, a conventionally animated Ghibli film. But then you went through a, a more walkthrough type experience, which I suppose, again, is bringing to life in a similar way to that Arietti section. So many of these food moments, the bustling kitchens, the dining rooms um, the, uh, of the films. So you could, I don't know, sort of see that detail, see that yeah. bustling sense well, of life. and be be surprised by it as mm-hmm. well um i think that was that was a key thing running throughout the design of the museum is it, it's kind of encouraging you to look in a different direction or look where you might not expect and uncover the hidden details which is very ghibli and that there you're in this kitchen from castle in the sky mm-hmm. and you think perhaps in a in a traditional British Museum like recreation type space the cupboards would be glued shut yep. and the pot on the lid and the spoons and all of this would be solid and you think we can look but don't touch and here you can open the cupboards and you can see the ingredients and their actual ingredients and you can open the lid and there's the hot pot being cooked mm-hmm. um, and the same goes for all of these rooms like there are all of these little treasures like one of our favourite moments of the whole day was when we were touring the kitchen in the Totoro house and we stepped outside and there was a little light underneath the the floorboards and so I poked my head under there and there were some acorns mm-hmm. and then I leant my head even lower and under these floorboards were the white and the blue Totoro who were glaring back at me with that wonderful cheeky side eye that they have and then you saw me do that and so or Michael then copied me looking down there and then the lady copied Michael and then a little girl copied <laughs> her and you had this chain reaction of joy just travelling around this yeah. small section of the museum. Yeah, the and it, it was yeah the most interactive bit, I think. And that thing you say about being able to open up the hot pot and things because uh, I think we heard behind us uh, the, uh, like shriek of joy (laughs) 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 and the hot pots opened and yeah you you could have stolen some cutlery from there if you wanted to (laughs) yeah i think it's again like using the space to put people in films in a way you wouldn't imagine Mm -hmm. like we've all been in the kitchen but we've never been in the kitchen from from up on poppy hill like yeah really really fun but i think i said to you when we came out of that bit i was like that was like the best ikea walkthrough <laughs> yeah. i've ever been in <laughs> yeah I, I guess it's it's it is also just showing how much they view what they do in creating these spaces as being drawn from real life and meant to reflect real life using the heightened you know, art form of animation because then it ends on this board that unfortunately was all in japanese so we couldn't really get make head or tail of it we had to go off greg's high school japanese for some of it but it was the recommended books of research of eating habits from around the world and dvds of documentaries about food cultures and cuisines um how just show how deep they go in their preparation in order to present something that is an everyday occurrence in a way that is magical and transformative and then we turn this corner and then we go into 
everything Ghibli, <laughs> which I think undersells <laughs> the um, the exhibition. You go down, you go down this long corridor, which is flanked by the posters for every single one of the films, up to Earwig. Doesn't th- doesn't reflect Boy in the, Boy in the Heron. It does. Boy in the Heron poster is there, but the exhibition doesn't. Well, and it's not just the films. There is a poster, a small poster for On Your Mark, a yeah. poster for Ghibli's Two, and perhaps the most interesting thing, no large poster for Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah, just a small so one. They had the full size for all the features. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they just never even got around to making one at the time. It is funny, but yeah, you're, you're queuing through this amazing space, which of course we're just loving every second of. And then you go into an, 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 an interactive walkthrough bit again, where I remember I've got this very strong image of you two sitting on these huge, one's a Totoro, one's a Catbus <laughs> chair, which are like, were they like massage chairs that you get? Or were they just no, really just sinky, big chairs. Big chairs. And then you, chairs. then you can sit at a bar, not be served anything, but enjoy the pleasure of sitting at a bar where your barman is Totoro. <laughs> And that bar area, we were there for a while, flanked by photos from the Ghibli archive, which were, some of them were very important moments, like winning the Oscar, or uh, holding up the Oscar when it was brought back to Japan and presented at the office, or rap parties. But there were some really wonderful, they did just look like family snaps. Well, and quite bad photos (laughs) as well, like... You imagine them all to be like perfectly composed and artistic, and it's like these are just people having a good time, and like people take bad photos. Most photos are bad. Yeah, so so they weren't and publicity shots. Yeah, they, were, they exactly. were just internal shots. So like the your rap party you mentioned, like the just them cutting the cake for the Princess Kaguya rap party, and the cake was shaped like bamboo. Yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> and there's these these in little inner workings. Little moments of celebration, like Toshio Suzuki doing the first throw at a baseball game. <laughs> and if 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 you're like us and you've gone this deep down the rabbit hole, and you know who all these people are, and you know what you can probably date when these photos come from, that's really fun. But then, if you're not that sort of person, there is a bar where you can sit and have your photo taken with bartender Totoro, <laughs> who is he didn't serve as a drink, but he's certainly in the top five bartenders we've had on this trip so far we have had quite a few (laughs) and we have met some amazing ones but then that only really whetted the appetite for maybe my favorite room of the entire park globo ghibli (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is a sort of circular room with a with a central bit but along the walls working in in a sort of counterclockwise in clockwise direction is um cases featuring for every Ghibli film all of its release material from some posters but videos, DVDs CD singles box sets, not just from Japan but from around the world, various languages and regions and territories so you could really just get up close and find all the versions of Naushka, all of it, all the way up to versions of Totoro, it was amazing seeing the teeny tiny CD single of the Totoro theme um the I remember you pointed out, Jake, the oh, my double favorite. bill Blu-ray. Yeah, well, yeah, double bill Blu-ray of um, Totoro and Fireflies was great, but my favorites were the the art books that we're all familiar with that you you can get yes. out in English. Um, but I saw the art book for Porco Rosso for Macintosh. <laughs> so like a, a CD of the art book, which I thought was great. I think, and that was actually something that lessened the further you got around this particular part of the exhibition where as it got more and more modern and everything has become more and more digitized the variety of formats Mm. got smaller and smaller and you noticed that they were relying more on different foreign languages or doubling up on two different vinyls by the time you got to the end of the circular room whereas the kind of late 80s early 90s you got loads of stuff going on. You've got so many different formats. You've got so many different exports. And because the the brand weight of mm-hmm. Ghibli isn't as strong at that point, there's more freedom for the foreign rights mm-hmm. owners to play around with the artwork so people can have a bit more fun with what they want to do with it, with how to sell it to that territory. And then by the time you get to Ponyo, 
like every Ponyo artwork is pretty much the same. It's the exactly yeah. It's her flopping around and like she's got her head poking under the droplet out of the water, and that's really about it. Um, but it, it is really interesting just to see that evolution of how this company sold itself to the world and was bought by the world. Um, and just like some of the some of the fun merchy bits, like the Arietti DVD that came with an enormous hair clip. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it felt to me like a miniature history of home video formats and tie-in merchandise, uh, and it was really fascinating to see how late these things were still being made. I think the final VHS was. Was it Tales from Earthsea VHS? It was it, it was surprisingly late into the 2000s. They were still doing those miniature CD singles all the way up to Spirited Away in the 2000s, um, which is really fascinating to see. And also to see that they also released the CD soundtracks for like Ghibli's Part 2, which, as we said, was a short piece that was went into cinemas along with Cat Returns, On Your Mark as well. These things that we've never seen before. I can imagine some people will just walk straight through that. But I spent a long time mm. there. And also the posters. The choice of posters in the central... There's a central bit with them, international posters. An interesting mix. They had the secret world of Arietti. In French. Yeah. And then they had Ollie Moss's Princess Mononoke sort of silhouette style poster, which just looked gorgeous. They had a Finnish version of The Cat Returns. I would love to know what made them choose these particular posters, but it was overwhelming and wonderful to go through that. And that, again, was reflected in the room afterwards, which did have another big interactive element because that was where you could get into a cat bus. That is, of course, the main difference between the museum and the park. Yeah. You are now allowed in the cat bus if you are a grown-up. <laughs> it was it, 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 That was one of the many moments of magic of the exhibition because I come out of that post a bit turn a corner and who's there in the driver's seat of the cat bus <laughs> waving at me but jake <laughs> i think another thing about that section as well was um like the kids section where there's just kids climbing all over it uh there was a a staff member standing there very sternly saying no cue to photograph the cat bus mm -hmm. so we just immediately <laughs> ran into the cat bus probably spoiling a few photos but there, that's there, what he was for there was a dad who was definitely not happy <laughs> <laughs> but he wanted his perfect shot and that is we're not going to make the room fill up with people that we are encouraged to play with this cat bus and we will play with this cat bus exactly public transport the cat bus is not for one person <laughs> it's for many so and he was very soft and comfy to sit in it was very nice and that was surrounded by we don't focus on too much in this but although i did at the time focus a lot on it um again telling the story from Nauschka all the way up to Irrigan the witch um of the books the time books so you have all the art the manga the image album the, the sort of roman albums where they've got the, they retell the story the guide books the tie-in novelizations from around the world and the the totoro acorn dvd player yes that was there which <laughs> i'd seen that on ebay uh seeing that in the flesh was quite a moment and then box sets and everything that was really cool if you are a nerd as i am about publishing um seeing when Marnie was there the Japanese editions with the original uh, cover illustrations really fab so that, that was everything Ghibli and we by this point of the day I was definitely overstimulated I was feeling very wired <laughs> without having had coffee since the morning um, and we still had so much more to do I think we, we broke for some food there mm -hmm. uh, you'd heard murmurings about the food hadn't you Jake before you went in uh, yeah, I'd I'd say I'd read mixed reviews. <laughs> um, we had bought safety snacks uh, just in case uh, things were too awful, um, which you're not allowed to eat in the park or in the, in the warehouse. Um, but we did go to the the cafe, which is uh, Italian themed. It's Porco Rosso themed. Um, Michael bravely opted for the strangest item on the menu which was the ketchup spaghetti sandwich, <laughs> yep. uh, which tasted like... Uh, oh, it tasted like Heinz spaghetti hoops <laughs> in a sandwich, which, you know, is, is like kid lunch. <laughs> yeah. Um, Steph and I had a mortadella roll, 
which was nice, but a, a paltry uh, amount within it. I would say the highlight of the meal came with the uh, Italian gelato van, which was legitimately good. Uh, I had salted milk and chocolate miso flavours. Steph, you had watermelon sorbet. Blood orange sorbet. Michael? I just had the salted, what was it? Salted, salted milk. Salted milk, which tasted like mini milks to yeah. me, but was nicer and in, in a cone as well. Yeah. Really nice. Um, so actually, even though its, it's reputation preceded it, it was, it was perfectly serviceable yeah. and, and did have some high points. Allowed us to have a sit down for a little bit. And the sandwiches had their little sandwich flags, which were all beautifully designed and illustrated. You know, the bee... A Naushka one or a Princess Monoki one, Porco Rosso one. I took pictures of all four of those. I think they were a lucky dip as well um, because there was a sign at the start of the cafe that said, the sign chooses you or the flag chooses you. You do not choose the flags. Really? So no. <laughs> they must just be getting a lot of requests for different flags. So refreshed. Mm. We then went when the time was just right to go and catch the screening at the Cinema Orion. Yes, and... Perhaps the only little bit of bad luck. It's not really bad luck because yeah. we, we had a good time. Um, but four years after the fact and considering there are eight or nine different short films available between the Ghibli Museum and the Ghibli Park cinemas, we we did happen to watch exactly the same film that we watched four years ago. Yeah, exactly. And it was Mr. Doe and the Egg Princess. We, you can go back and listen to what we thought of character <laughs> back in 2019. Absolute banger of a short. Very experimental and strange, funny and goofy in many ways. Also surprisingly, strangely sexy. Um, what I will say is, about... Is it? Mr. Doe is very buff. When <laughs> when they, when they she shapes up the dough man and puts him in the oven and he's he gets ripped. Yeah, I mean that's the workout regime I wish I had where someone just needs to cook me and then I'm buff. Um and one thing I will say about the cinema Ryan it felt bigger than mm. the cinema in the museum and the museum had just bench seating and this one I think we did sit in the bit where it was what's what's the term if you buy a sofa? Mm. In a, a ticket in a cinema but most of the seats were single seats and they were numbered and it seats like 170 or something so it's a much bigger cinema screen and it made me think they should they should be showing feature films here i wonder if that's something they would do eventually yeah i wonder if they're thinking into the future as well like particularly with valley of witches to come and mononoke village to come and i'm sure it's only going to be sold out every day for the foreseeable yeah. and there will need to be more and more things to do here like it's going to be open for Halloween spooky nights <laughs> next year or something, and they'll they'll put on only the spookiest shorts, <laughs> or just do do a feature film all nighter. Yeah, um, it was yeah a very lovely place to watch a film, um, but and then we decided to commit yes to the queue, the biggest queue, which was to what was the the terminology to go into go into Ghibli films. It was becoming characters in memorable Ghibli scenes. So we queued for a while. It was like half an hour queue. Yeah, and, and this exhibition, um, it is great, but compared to something like the food exhibition where you're really getting an insight into how these are made, this is not that, because <laughs> these films are not live action or real. This is, this is, the, this is the Instagram bit basically isn't it yeah it's less of an exhibition and more of a kind of photo booth <laughs> couple of floors right? yeah good fun the first thing you see and this was one where the the queue split you realize why the queue was so long and why it was because it's front loaded the first diorama i call it a diorama um that you meet is going on the train with no face from spirited away which of course everyone wants to be in so all the queue was for that and of course that everyone wants to um get their perfect picture because in the background the lighting changes from blue to sunset orange to magic hour and then back again. So I imagine some people were waiting for it to come back around again, but we had our snaps there. I don't think there's much insight necessarily into um, the experience of the films, but it was, as we went through, there were some really fun ones, uh, particularly like, I think, was it straight after that, that it was a from up on Poppy Hill? No, straight after that was Porco, which was a good one. So some of them were just sort of, static ones and some of them implied action and this one definitely implied action on your face jake instead <laughs> <laughs> getting punched by porco you in the scene towards the end with the film where he's in his fight his fist fight 
that was quite a fun one but that was next to the the sort of uh students workshop of from up on poppy hill and that was that had a lot of nice detail to it with showing that it was 1963 and making a um a, a pamphlet with a with a press and all that but that was not a very popular or mm. busy area neither was the pompoco family room next door which had a nice tv in the corner you can just imagine them having, having just watched their what, what's the, what, what's the little live action recipe bit in the film oh well they also had a, a bucket full of burgers yes like pre-wrapped burgers which is a really nice touch and um yeah, I loved how much Takahata was in there. They yeah. really went for it. Like, I got to kneel down and pre- pretend that I was uh, harvesting the safflowers for only yesterday. Like, what a photo moment that only a small section of people maybe were really going to like lose their mind over. I'd probably say that's my favourite pick of the day. Was <laughs> it was you? You're looking so stoic <laughs> in the safflowers because you're not pretending to pick. You're just contemplating the safflower, yeah. and the sun is right behind you, so it is like almost a religious image. <laughs> Um, but then these sort of action shots include catching the girl and castle in the sky, which is a hard one to really judge where to put your arms for the perfect picture. Mm. You you can step into a daring um, aerial da- battle aerial battle moment in Castle in the Sky. You can step. There's some steps going up to stand on the waves as Ponyo is running across yeah. the waves. Well, you, you can hold up the the head in Princess Mononoke, which is a I think one of the more dynamic ones and this going back to that idea of trying to inject some movement into this where they did have kind of crashing lightning and uh, lighting changes on that so you could time your video to perfectly get you <laughs> lifting up the deer head at the moment that the lights dramatically change yeah there was um ocean waves you can be there on the platform as the two characters but again for such a forgotten thing or like widely considered a forgotten thing like committing to a full diorama and instagram moment for ocean waves is so good and we i think we went quickly past the tales from earth sea yeah in the stable yeah but that was nice to see there's there was a great group pick of us contemplating the cursed dreams of aviation <laughs> and industry with Caproni himself um, for the wind rises. I really liked as well, there's a space where you could stand back to back with Marnie. But of course, Marnie is a young girl, so she's like half my size. <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite hard to get right. Um, and there was one that I really loved as well, which... As you said, Jake, they had downstairs, they had um, Pompoko, and you were so surprised by the amount of Takahata. They had just one corner that was beautifully lit, actually. Now I look at the pictures we took, just of um, uh, falling petals and blossom moment in Kaguya. And you just said, Michael, 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 just just start filming. (laughs) (laughs) And out of shot, a beautiful twirling Jake comes in and out. (laughs) (laughs) that was yeah wonderful i mean really on the cusp of being naff in some ways well they've (laughs) emphasized throughout that this is not a theme park this is the section where it feels like a theme park like there are no rides and there are there are no scary horror mazes or anything like that but there is a significant portion dedicated to getting some sweet grams (laughs) But I and but I suppose it's done in a way that is accessing a sense of childlike wonder and fascination, and it is innocent and stripped of any, you know, it is it, it, it's it's not high-minded at all, is it? It's just fun. It's kind of the equivalent of putting your head in one of those like yeah. um, beachside cardboard cutout things. But I think it still lets you be creative. Like it's not saying stand right here, do this or shoot from here like i think you can have so much fun with it but yeah Yeah. it was funny that that was the last thing we did in the in the park and it was by far (laughs) the most popular thing but i suppose get some kids there that maybe maybe the kids aren't there for wind rises and tales from earth sea but they should be they should be but yeah there was the there was even with that there was an attention to detail that was really admirable that the clothes on some of the or the outfits on some of those characters were real clothes um, the dressing around it. This is something that 
Greg with his game designer brain was was talking about that the lighting was actually or the backgrounds were painted in a way that with the lighting actually made it look much more dynamic in a picture than when you're standing there and they do look great in pictures so there's a lot of thought gone into it it's not just a printout of a film still that you're standing in front of so really well done but so dorky I mean it's a pretty dorky day anyway so we might as well end on the dorkiest moment and then, of course, we went to the shop after that, which I think, given we've gone over an hour on this already, just talking about the attractions, I think we should just do a merch chat in another episode. But the shop, if if any listeners have listened to our 2019 chat about the museum, the shop is the same. Well, it's just everything you'd want. And there's this buzz of excitement. Of It's the only area where it starts to feel a bit too buzzy, where everyone's just there with their baskets and they're just like shoveling things in. Well, and I think we learned our lesson from the museum shop uh, where we all left the museum shop and it, there was a sense quite quickly afterwards of, oh, I should have bought, should have bought that. Like, how often are we going to be here again? And I don't have that thing that I really like. And we went into this one thinking, no regrets. <laughs> no regrets. We did it. If there's something that you like, commit to it now because it, it'll be four years or more before we get this chance again. Mm-hmm. So we got to do it and yeah, committed to some really great stuff. Yeah. And then we bid, bid our farewell. Mm. And then the great thing about Japanese transport system is got a train, then got another bullet train. And then we were in Tokyo in two and a half hours. Yeah. Out in the town in Tokyo, which is a story for another episode. But we kept <laughs> the Ghibli vibe going. We did. The yeah, 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 we did. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that. We'll do an episode rounding up our highlights and we'll have to talk about that bar um, another time. But for now, that's the Ghibli Park, people. Thank you for listening. Um, What an overwhelming day. This is sensory overload kind of trip. Um, We'll be back with more Japan Reflections on another episode. Uh, We should shout out the Asocia Hotel in Nagoya and Shiba Park Hotel here in Tokyo for putting us up on our trip and to the JNTO in the UK for helping us sort out all the rail passes and the hotel accommodation and just figuring out our itinerary for this. It's been a, you know, we're really grateful for all that help. Um, We're on social media. We've been posting all sorts of pictures from this trip. Well, yeah, if you want to see the Instagrams from the Insta zone. (laughs) Yeah, that's there. Ghibliotech.pod. Also uh, many threads on um, X slash Twitter at Ghibliotech. We're also all there individually jake is on twitter at jake h cunningham and he's on instagram at jake h dot cunningham and steph's on twitter at underscore steph watts and michael's on twitter at michael j leader and on instagram at michael dot leader thanks for listening Produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill, and Steph Watts. Our music is by Anthony Ng. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.